public reading of, of God's word as it said in the Bible. So it says this in Acts chapter 6. Now, Stephen, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from some members of the Freedmen Synagogue, composed of both Cyrenians and Alexandrians, and some from Cilicia and Asia. And they began to argue with Stephen, but they were unable to stand up against his wisdom and the spirit by whom he was speaking. Then, he was, then they secretly persuaded some men to say, we heard him speaking blasphemous words against Moses and God. Well, they stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes. So they came, seized him, and took him to the Sanhedrin. They also presented false witnesses who said, This man never stops speaking against this holy place and the law. For we heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs that Moses handed down to us. And all who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at him and saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Are these things true? The high priest asked. Brothers and sisters, he replied, listen, the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he settled in Haran, and said to him, Leave your country and relatives and come to the land that I will show you. Then he left the land of the Chaldeans and settled in Haran. From there, after his father died, God had, God had him move to this land in which you are now living. He didn't give him an inheritance in it, not even a foot of ground. But he promised to give it to him as a possession and to his descendants after him, even though he was childless. God spoke in this way. His descendants would be strangers in a foreign country, and they would enslave and oppress them for 400 years. I will judge the nation that they will serve as slaves, God said. After this, they will come out and worship me in this place. And so he gave Abraham the covenant of circumcision. After this, he fathered Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. Isaac became the father of Jacob, and Jacob became the father of the twelve patriarchs. Well, the patriarchs became jealous of Joseph and sold him into Egypt. But God was with him and rescued him out of all his troubles. He gave him favor and wisdom in the sight of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who appointed him ruler over Egypt and over his whole household. Now a famine and great suffering came over all of Egypt and Canaan, and our ancestors could find no food. When Jacob heard there was grain in Egypt, he sent our ancestors there for the first time. The second time, Joseph revealed himself to his brothers, and Joseph's family became known to Pharaoh. Joseph invited his father Jacob and all his relatives, 75 people in all, and Jacob went down to Egypt. He and our ancestors died there, were carried back to Shechem, and were placed in the tomb that Abraham had bought for a sum of silver from the sons of Hamor in Shechem. As the time was approaching to fulfill the promise that God had made to Abraham, the people flourished and multiplied in Egypt until a different king who did not know Joseph ruled over Egypt. He dealt deceitfully with our race and oppressed our ancestors by making them abandon their infants outside so that they wouldn't survive. At this time, Moses was born, and he was beautiful in God's sight. He was cared for in his father's home for three months. When he was put outside, 
Pharaoh's daughter, adopted and raised him as her own. So Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in his speech and actions. When he was 40 years old, he decided to visit his own people, the Israelites. When he saw one of them being mistreated, he came to his rescue and avenged the oppressed man by striking down the Egyptian. He assumed that people would understand that God would, had, God would give them deliverance through him, but they did not understand. The next day he showed up while they, they were fighting and tried to reconcile them peacefully, saying, Men, you are brothers. Why are you mistreating each other? But the one who was mistreating his neighbor pushed Moses aside, saying, Who appointed you a ruler and a judge over us? Do you want to kill me the same way you killed the Egyptian yesterday? When he heard this, Moses fled and became an exile in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. After 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai, in the flame of a burning bush. When Moses saw it, he was amazed at the sight. He was approaching to look at it. The voice of the Lord came, I am the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. Moses began to tremble and did not dare to look. The Lord said to him, Take off your sandals from your feet, because the place where you are standing is holy ground. I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their groaning, and I have come down to set them free. And now, come, I will send you to Egypt. This Moses, whom they rejected when they said, Who appointed you a ruler and a judge? This one God sent as a ruler and a deliverer through the angel who appeared to him in the bush. This man led them out and performed wonders and signs in the land of Egypt, at the Red Sea and in the wilderness for 40 years. This is the Moses who said to the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your brothers. He is the one who was in the assembly in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai and with our ancestors. He received living oracles to give to us. Our ancestors were unwilling to obey him. Instead, they pushed him aside and in their hearts turned back, turned back to Egypt. They told Aaron, make us gods who will go before us. As for this Moses who brought us out of the land of Egypt, eh, we don't know what's happened to him. Then even, they, they even made a calf in those days, offered sacrifice to the idol and were celebrating with what they made with their hands. God turned away and gave them up to worship the stars of heaven. As it is written in the book of the prophets, House of Israel, did you bring me offerings and sacrifices for 40 years in the wilderness? Mm -mm. You took up the tent of Molech and the star of your God, Rephan, the images that you made to worship. So I will send you into exile beyond Babylon. Our ancestors had the tabernacle of the testimony of the, in the wilderness. Just as he spoke of Moses, as spoke to Moses, commanded him to make it according to the pattern he had seen. Our ancestors, in turn, received it, and with Joseph, brought it in when they dis dispossessed the nations that God drove out before them until the days of David. He found favor in God's sight and asked that he might provide a dwelling place for God of, for the God of Jacob. It was Solomon, rather, who built him a house. For the Most High does not dwell in sanctuaries made with hands. As the prophet says, heaven is my throne, 
and the earth is my footstool. What sort of house would you will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what will be my resting place? Did not my hand make all these things? You stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears, you're always resisting the Holy Spirit. As your ancestors did, you do also. Which of the prophets did your ancestors not persecute? They even killed those Kill those who foretold the coming of the righteous one, whose betrayers and murderers you have now become. You received the law under the direction of angels and yet have not kept it. When they heard these things, they were pissed. They were enraged. That's what the Bible And gnashed their teeth at him. Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven. He saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. He said, look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. They yelled at the top of their voices, covered their ears, and together rushed at him. They dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. And the witnesses laid their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He knelt down in a cr and crowd in a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And after saying this, he fell asleep. Saul agreed with putting him to death. Lord Jesus, show us your goodness. <coughs> Reveal to us, Lord, your spirit, your heart, and the goodness of your gospel that was offered to these, this council this day. Let us receive that message, Lord. Let it sink down deep into our hearts. And God, I pray that your spirit would open up our minds and hearts to receive the word of God implanted. And Lord, move here this morning. Grow us in our faith. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Maybe see. So this week I uh, took our Prius. Yes, I have a Prius. And a Harley, so don't judge me. <laughs> but I took our Prius to Toyota because it was having some problems. Uh, you had know, the uh, shop charging, all sorts of stuff. It was having problems. Took it in, realized. It was the battery, the big one. <laughs> and you know anything about Priuses? Back when they first came out, they were like $10,000 for a new battery. Now they're only about $1,500 or $2,000. So, um, so we're getting our battery replaced on, on Tuesday. But it's interesting, I kept thinking about that. Like in our faith, in our lives, sometimes we can feel like my battery. Sometimes it's, so the symptom of, symptoms of it is that it would charge really fast, but it would also lose charge really fast because it was worn out. And sometimes when we're worn out in our lives, in our faith, in our just everyday lives, it can seem like almost like we're that battery. Sometimes it's, you know, we're just super down in the depths. We're not even charging at all. We just feel like we're running out trying to keep all the things afloat, but we have no power to power the car, to power our lives. 
And then sometimes we, we charge up really fast, something really, because we're desperate for happiness, we're desperate for hope, and so we charge up really fast. But because we're not connected like we should, we're not healthy, that, that power just dwindles super fast. It dies out of our lives as quickly as it can. And so as we think about this passage here this morning, there's an overriding theme here with, with, with his sermon, with what's going on to Steve, with Stephen and what happens to Stephen, but also overarching in the life of the church as well. That's not voiced in this passage because it's only Stephen at this point. But that nothing can separate God's saints from the amazing love of Yahweh, our God. He is our eternal power source. He is our eternal hope, our source of hope, our source, our source of peace, our source of and foundation in times of trouble. When we feel like there's, it's, or we're empty, or we feel like these times where we said, like, we recharge really fast, we're desperate for hope, but then it dwindles so fastly because we're not encountering and engaging with God. Our hearts and our souls, our minds, sometimes even manifesting in our bodies, are unhealthy. Sometimes when we see our body becoming unhealthy, we realize, oh, that's because the rest of me is unhealthy and this is the symptom. Because I've let all sorts of other things in my life and I've put my hope, I've tried to put my foundation in, in sinking sand. I've tried to put it in water as my foundation and it keeps getting swept out from underneath my feet. But how do we understand God's word in these moments? That God, that nothing can separate you from God. If God is your foundation, if you are a saint of God, what, is that, what do I mean by that? That you have placed all of your faith on him, like you all right now. Your, your, your tushies are sitting in a chair because you trusted it. You trusted it with your body. Who are you entrusting your soul? Are you entrusting it on a chair that's wobbly and going to collapse underneath you? Or are you planting your life and your faith upon the foundation, the firm foundation of Christ? Because nothing can separate God's saints, believers, Christians, from the amazing love of Yahweh, our God. So let's look deeper into our passage here this morning. So there are four accusations that are being hurled against him. So he's speaking against Moses, God, the law, and the temple. Those are the four accusations. If you have your, your, your handouts there, if you need a handout, it's over on the, the desk or by the front door there. And also there's extra folders. And so if you need to catch up, you want to get more handouts, there are folders you can put your, your sheets in right there. And there's also all the sheets from the entire series. You want to catch up. So they were accusing Stephen of blasphemy, of speaking against basically the four pillars of their faith. Moses, God, the law, and the temple, or as they call it, this holy place. They're in the temple, and they're calling the temple this holy place. Stephen was turning, however, their accusations against them. Throughout this entire thing, which took us about 10 minutes to read, uh, thank you for your patience and your your firm legs to stand with the whole thing. You're awesome. <laughs> he makes a struggle. I should have warned you. I'm sorry. 
And so Stephen was turning all their accusations on their head and showing how it was actually them. It was they who were blaspheming these four things. It wasn't him. He wasn't speaking against these things. He was speaking the rightful understanding of these things. And that's why he starts this, this great and powerful and long, the longest sermon in all of the New Testament. Um, long, long sermon. This is the story. Stephen tells the story, or as we like to call it, the, the meta-narrative, which we'll get to in a second. The meta-narrative of the scripture shows us the never-ending, steadfast, loyal love, or chesed love, or agape love of God towards the people that he loves. Even in the midst of their stiff-neckery. Even in the midst of their stubbornness. Even in the midst of their wrong thinking and their wrong living, he shows that he is faithful. No matter if we're faithful or not, God still wants to forgive and reconcile all people to himself. And get this, even the legalists and the licentious. People on both sides. He wants to save and reconcile them back to God. No matter what boat you're in. No matter if you're a heroin shooting, drug addict, you know, uh, prostitution enjoying hell's angel. Or a legalistic member of the church. Or pastor. Or elder. Or trustee. Or deacon, or fill in the blank. <laughs> They're equally in need of reconciliation to God. The only person that God saved. God wants all of us to walk that line of grace. The road of grace totters, toddles, wobbles, whatever, this, this thing, on the blade of a knife. And over here is licentiousness, and over here is legalism. But we can go off, because we're afraid of going into the craziness of the world, we go to strict laws to control us from not going over there. And over, over here, we're like, I don't want anyone to become religious, and so I'm going to make sure that I'm as far over here and making sure that I'm just enjoying life, and there's no restrictions on my life. Versus God is saying, no, we need to come to the middle, because grace is found on that nice edge of between legalism and licentiousness. Their accusations weren't specifically because he preached the gospel of Jesus in this. Did you hear him say what, what Stephen preached about all about Jesus and preaching the name of Jesus and preaching the name of Jesus? Right? We didn't really hear much of that. We found one passage toward the end, but this was mainly about telling the story of God. He was preaching the new way and of the new covenant. Not just about Jesus. That's why they were accusing him of speaking against Moses and God and the law and the temple. You know, the, uh, this church that is claiming to be the new temple of God was almost pretty much it was blasphemy to them, which we'll get to in a minute. But like you said, destroy the temple and change the customs of Moses handed down, as I said. So let's look at that. Mo the temple. 
destroy the temple. Well, Jesus did say that. Jesus said he destroyed this temple and in three days I'll raise it up again. Right? But here's the thing. He said that to him about his body. And guess what? They would destroy his, his body. They would destroy his temple. But God himself would raise it up three days later. The temple itself, however, also would be destroyed. Remember what year? AD 70, right? Yeah. He was prophesying that indeed there would be no, not one stone left on another. It would indeed be destroyed. And changing the customs. Jesus fulfilled the customs, festivals, rituals, and sacrifices. So yes, indeed, the new covenant was a culture shift for them. Going away from the old, you know, strict legalistic ways, basically coming, you know, out from what from underneath the Pharisaical Mishnah Talmud, you know, traditions of the elders, doing away with all that garbage, and establishing what Jesus meant when he wrote the law in the first place, which is about freedom and grace and reconciliation and healing and power. They would also, the Jewish customs and culture would indeed be done away with. They would cease to be, as it were. And it has never been fully restored, even to this day, our day. Why? They don't have a temple. They cannot worship God. Because they don't have the Ark of the Covenant. They don't have a temple. They don't have a place where God's presence resides. Because he doesn't reside on their, on, on their uh, synagogues. He only resided in the temple. And only until the end of the of the battle, what, the, the 5th century B.C., 6th century B.C., when God left and he never came back. Until Jesus came, Jesus came back. Amen. Stephen's point was that the new covenant people, the church, would live out the ways and the customs the way God originally had intended them to be. Again, this is an indictment against them in the way that they had distorted Yahweh's people into a religious caste system. With the religious rulers and the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Zealots and all these people above the normal people. And that chasm was huge between the common worshiper and these religious elite. And God was saying, that's garbage. Mm -hmm. But of course, that you know would happen. What would happen 300 years from then? They would distort God's people again and restore and re and establish a religious caste system once again when Constantine would paganize the church in the fourth century, which is why we have words today as clergy and laity. There is no distinction in the Bible. I am not a clergy and you're a lady as though we're some different level of human being in the church. As though I'm a holier caste than the lowly church member. There is no partiality. There's no separation. I just have a different role in the church. But you, we are all the same level. We are all one in Christ. From the smallest child to the oldest elder, we are all one in Christ. There's no Male or female even, slave or free, Scythian, barbarian, whatever, Jews or Gentiles. His point is we are one in Christ. We are all at the same level. 
There's no religious caste system. You're not laity. Remember our point last week? What was it? Every what? We're all ministers. We're all ministers. Every member is a minister. Every single one of us has a ministry of some sort that God has called you to. You just have to figure out what it is. You're not just a church. You're not simply a church member that just comes to a comes to a gathering once a week. You are an active participant to minister and bless the body of Christ. That's why he says in the Bible over a hundred times, what? One another. Love. love one, one another. Love. And a third of those are specifically love one another. Not just serve one another, you forgive one another, carry one another's burdens, be there for one another, bless one another. A third of them are love one another. In order to love one another, you have to actually minister to one another. And say, yes, that I am a spirit-filled member of the body of Christ that has intrinsic value and power in the church and authority in this world. Do you see yourself as someone who has authority? Power? Blessing from God? That God wants to use you just as much, if not more powerfully than me? Oftentimes we're like, oh, the pastor, oh, he's so, he's out there, he's, he's so high and right. No. He knows more about the Bible. Of course. Well, I went to school for like 10, 12, 15,000 years. <laughs> Probably forever. But that's my ministry to give this knowledge. It's not so I can hold it over you. It's to bless you so that you can be a blessing to one another. Face of an angel, as I said, like they, they perceived that he had the face of an angel. Why? What were they seeing? They were seeing glory. Why? Why were they seeing glory on Stephen's face? Because they what? They knew that he had been with God. Knew he had been with Jesus. This is part and parcel of what happened to Moses. His point here of we talk about Moses. Moses was you know in the tent of meeting with God. And he came out after having hung out in God's presence and his face was glowing because he had been with the glory of God. He had been with God. Here's a question. Is your face glowing? Have you been with God? What other people say that you have been with God? Because of the way you interact in this world, in this life. Have you met with God this week? Have you gone to the tent of meeting? Which can be really anywhere. It can be at Taco Bell you can, and be in the tent of meeting with the Lord. You can be in your, your prayer closet. You can be on top of the mountain. You can be in your car on the way to work. Because the, in the tent of meeting is wherever you are. Amen. Because God's Holy Spirit is in you and upon you. And so that's why he gives us his response. That's he, because he's been with God. And like I said last week, this is indicative that he had been with God and he had not prepared for this. He didn't write out this sermon in like, like I have. He didn't write this out in a, in a you know, nice, clean PowerPoint or pro presenter 
or media shout or whatever, who didn't get out handouts and things like that. This was proof, this was fulfillment of Jesus' prophetic word that don't prepare or worry about what you're going to say because when you're there in front of councils and in the synagogues and in front of religious rulers, I will give you my words through my Holy Spirit. And he's preaching from the Spirit. This is a Spirit. This is the Holy Spirit. The words of the Holy Spirit. So the meta narrative of Scripture, the, from the beginning all the way to the end, overarching story of Scripture. So the question that we have to, have to, have to ask ourselves, where do I fit into God's story? I'm a minister. I'm called. I'm filled. I am empowered. And I have been sent. Well, then how do I fit? Lord, how does my existence in this world fit into your story? Because that is where purpose and meaning is found. It's not trying to carve our own way in this world, trying to figure it out as we go and what, what makes us happy. It's saying, God, what do you want? What was the purpose that you created me? How did you create me? For what purpose? What is my meaning? What is my calling? What is my purpose in this life? Because I guarantee you, it's night and day 10 million times greater than you would ever have thought for yourself. Amen. All the way back to the beginning. And what does he do? He goes all the way back to even the promise of Abraham. And then he goes to Moses. Now he became passionate. He became zealous once he found out his true origins. But made a great mistake. Now he murdered someone. And sometimes when we get when we get passionate about our faith, we're gonna make mistakes. When we feel like we've kind of been spinning our wheels and we've kind of wandered off. And we're like, oh, yeah, gotta, 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 gotta get back on track here. Lord, what do we want? Alright, cool. Uh, I'm gonna go for it. Oh, that wasn't right. We're gonna we're gonna make mistakes as we go forward. Hopefully not murder. <laughs> like Moses. But I love how he brings this up because he was even saying, turning again, turning almost someone that they made into a god, Moses, and turning it on its head. And saying, guess who Moses was? Guess what? Moses was a murderer. And yet God used him. King David was a? Adulterer. Adulterer and a? Man murderer. They should keep getting better and better. Peter was a murderer. Up in here. They just, so he was zealous for he, he was like, no, Lord, I'm going to be faithful to you. And what does God do? God uses him to free an entire nation of millions of people from slavery. God is never done with you. Amen. So he's articulating his beliefs in and about Moses so that they would not be able to accuse him about blasphemy and his doctrinal beliefs about Moses to put down these false accusations. And then we get to the temple. What does he say? That Yahweh, the Lord, does not live in houses or buildings built by human hands. Now, this is where their ears start to perk up. They're like, whoa, whoa, what? Because that statement alone that he says right there, boom, that condemns Stephen. 
that is the moment where everyone was stopped listening to what he said and said, oh good, we can pick up stones now and kill this dude. I meant to grab you before. We're talking stones. Imagine this at your head. No, thank you. Me first. I'll be right, first. No. <laughs> a stone. Not like a little itty bitty rock that my that my daughter likes to shove in her pockets. No. Wasn't like a. Wasn't like David and Goliath. It was heavy stones. Hand-sized stones flying at your head. They worship the house more than the God they believed resided in the building. Stephen is giving very solid, biblically and theologically sound definitions and descriptions of the tabernacle and the temple. And how the Jewish nation has either defamed or dishonored it and even turned and worshipped it versus the God whose name was in it. In the end, his point is simple. God cannot live in it because it cannot contain him. Amen. He's so much bigger. He, he made everything. Even the very rocks that you're about to throw at my head. And the rocks around here and the mountain that this temple and this building is even built upon. He made these things. He can't live in your little, your little bedroom, your little room underneath the stairs, like Harry Potter. Fun fact, God never told him to build a temple. Look in your Bibles. He never told David, hey, build me a house. God just felt bad, or I'm sorry, David just felt bad. Right. He was living in a palace that he had built, and he looked down and he saw this tent. Now, let me give you a little, little background. This wasn't in my notes, but this is so good. David brought the Ark of the Covenant in from out in the wilderness. It had been running, residing, residing in the temple, or I'm sorry, in the tabernacle, which is a tent, the tent of meeting, where they would offer sacrifices. And it was draped with, with, you know, with walls, and it had an outer wall around it. It had all the thing right there, right? Tabernacle, Google it. It's great. I should have put that in your notes. Um, maybe next week. <laughs> but that was like seven miles away in Shiloh. I believe it was. But Shiloh or Bethel. But he brought the Ark of the Covenant in to Jerusalem, where he would establish the head of Israel. He was going to establish Jerusalem, Yerushalayim, which was, which means city or town of peace. And he brought the Ark of the Covenant in, and he set up a tent. But most scholars actually believe that this tent was open. And they had all the musicians and all the choirs, all the singers, and all the, the people of, God, of, you know, all of Israel would come, and they'd come before the Ark of the Covenant 
and they would sing, and they would dance, and they would play the, the musical instruments 24-7, 365, every day, day and night, always music playing before the Ark of the Covenant. And here's the thing, God's Shekinah glory was still on it. Amen. And they were able to come before the throne of grace. The mercy seat was right there. They could see it. They were worshiping, not it. They were worshiping the God who was on it and in it. They could come and bless the presence of the Lord Yahweh. And God didn't smite them dead. God honored them. That's why we have an entire book of the Bible called Psalms. Those were the songs that were sung before the Ark of the Covenant for years. Years. And then David was like, hey God, I'm going to build you a house. And God said, all right, but if you're going to do it, you're not going to do it because you're a man of blood. I'm going to let your son do it, Solomon. So Solomon built the first temple. But until that time, can you imagine? Can you just imagine if David never had that inkling? And Israel just came before the mercy seat of God every day. Somewhat thankfully didn't because now we can enjoy that. Amen. We can enjoy going before the mercy seat, before the throne room of grace. The, what, the throne of grace, the throne of mercy. We can come to the temple or to, to, the, to the tent of David. Every day in prayer and in worship. Because the Shekinah glory of God that was on the Ark of the Covenant is now upon you. If you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you are now the tent of David walking around. He cannot contain the presence of God. And this is probably where, you know, could even be where Paul even got his theology. Because guess who's there? A little guy named Saul. Who is, now we know, later on, we know if you read the Bible, Saul becomes Paul. Correct. And so he's hearing Stephen's sermon. And he's hearing these words being spoken. That God cannot dwell within hand, you know, human hands. In places with human hands, like he says in Acts chapter 17, which we'll get to in a couple of years. Uh, the God who made the world and everything in it he is Lord of heaven and earth does not live in shrines made by hands neither is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives everyone life and breath and all things and here we sit on, in this time in this, in this sermon with him, with, these, with the high priest and the whole council, we're sitting there on the edge of our seat. What's going to happen? What's going to happen? Basically, we're saying, it's not, it's not too late. It's not too late. Awesome. Because you know, hard words from a prophet don't always feel good, but they can bring life and flourishing if followed. It's never too late to change your mind and go into a new and better direction in your life with God. 
It's never too late. You can always shift your direction. Like I always love to say, I love to quote the Elevation song. If you're not dead, God's not done. God's not done. Amen. Amen. If you're not dead, God's not done. This council, led by the high priest, the same guy who murdered Jesus, by the way, who was in front of Pilate, who delivered Jesus over to the Romans to be crucified, this high priest could have had the humility and openness to the Spirit, to this, this empowered and, and, and sound teaching coming from Stephen, and responded, saying, Wow, you're right. You're right. I've been looking at this thing, whole, all this whole thing, the Torah, the wrong way. I've been looking at my legalism and my way of life the wrong way. I believe that the man that I had crucified died for me. I changed my mind about Jesus. Is it too late to baptize me in the name of Jesus? Who was and is the Messiah to forgive my sins of even killing Jesus himself? So that I too can receive his Holy Spirit. Like you have. To help me turn this entire nation and the world back to God. Amen. Man, that would have been an amazing second part of this chapter. But he didn't. He added another brutal murder to the list of sins that God would hold against him and for which he would perish. Specifically and mainly for the sin of unbelief, disloyalty to Yahweh, which would again lead him to murder another innocent and godly man, Stephen. That God could and was desiring to forgive even the high priest and double murderer he can and wants to forgive, wash, restore, and empower you, your life, your family, your children, while you still have the breath of life that God gave you, by the way, Amen. in your lungs. It's never too late. If you're not dead, God's not done. Stay with me. If you're not dead, God's not done. Stay with the I in place. If I'm not dead, God's not done. One more time. If I'm not dead, God's not done. Write that on your paper. Because <laughs> nothing can separate God's saints from the amazing love of Yahweh, our God. And then we see Stephen crying out to the Lord to forgive even them after they've killed him. Amen. And some would come to faith. If not through Stephen's testimony, through later the kid who they threw their cloaks in front of, in front of Paul. From Saul's preaching of the gospel, many would come to faith. 
many of this group who stoned Stephen would come to faith in Jesus. And Stephen died for his faith. Because why? It was worth it. Amen. It was worth staying faithful to Jesus Christ. It was worth staying faithful to Yahweh and to Christ, to the gospel of Jesus Christ, to our beliefs, to stay faithful to the one who will always stay faithful to you. If it's worth dying for, it's worth living for. Amen. <laughs> So ask ourselves that question. Is this faith in Jesus worth dying for? And if it's worth dying for, how do I then live it? How can I let it change me? How can I experience the goodness of God's mercy and God's forgiveness, God's grace, God's empowering with the Holy Spirit and our identity as what? God's saints. Because once you come to faith in Jesus, you have proclaimed him as the Lord of your life, been baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And you receive the Holy Spirit upon you. He claims you. Amen. He washes you clean and he changes your name. You are no longer sinner. You're saint. You are saint who you are. Live it. It's as easy as that. Pick up the scriptures. Pick up prayer. Engage with your Father. Engage with your Savior. And say, God, how do, who, who am I? How do I first wrap my head around that I'm a holy one of God? <laughs> I'm a holy one of the Most High God. That's my identity. Now, Lord, how do I Manifest on the outside in my life, in my daily living. It's not about keeping a short account with God. It's about recognizing and remembering and believing that God has completely settled your account from past, present, future. Because all of your sins were future to Jesus when He was dying on the cross. What makes you think that yes, that uh, you know tomorrow's sins are not forgiven, but yesterday's are? He forgave all of them. So we don't ask for forgiveness when we make mistakes. We say, thank you for, give, for your forgiveness. Help me not do that stupid thing again. Help me to walk a new way, a new life, a new trajectory with you. Not by myself. Not on my own wisdom and knowledge and strength. Because I messed it up. You know that. Amen. How can I walk the way, truth, and the life with you, Lord Jesus? Walk by the Spirit, and you won't go back there. Walk by the Spirit, and you'll walk in a powered life. Lord Jesus, remind us of our truth, of that truth, of your truth, that nothing can separate us from the love of you, Lord Yahweh. We honor and glorify you with our lives. Fill us with your Holy Spirit so that we can walk by your spirit each day. 
Break down the wall. Tear down the walls, Lord Jesus, of the wrong thinking that has kept us from coming back to you. If we've, if we've separated ourselves off, Lord, and said, I'm too far gone. God can't reconcile me. Break down that wall. Break down the lies and deceit of the enemy and say, hey, you're already forgiven. Come and walk with me in the cool of the morning. Show us your face. Show us your goodness. Show us your love. That you love us. Every day. Empower us for your mission and for your work in this world. That we may live and die with the gospel of praise to Jesus Christ on our lips. For it's in that great and powerful name, Jesus Christ, Son of God, we pray. Amen.